Good morning, family. It's good to be here today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this privilege to gather again in the house of prayer and to worship you as a family in spirit and in truth. We do pray today that as we open this text, you would breathe on us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind to obey. We ask that you would bless us now in this time. Would you give me preaching power and preaching permission one more time is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text this morning, we are going back to the Gospel of Luke. Back to the Gospel of Luke where we are walking through this amazing uh, book of Scripture. And I pray that you've been encouraged by our time in this study today. I want to say a special thank you and welcome to our visitors who are here with us. Thank you for choosing the world's greatest church. You're in the right place. And so just feel free to say amen when your neighbor says it, all right? You'll be, you'll be in the right, the right place. So Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 29. The word of the Lord says, To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Let me read that again. These challenging words from Christ. To the one who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Beloved, in today's message, Jesus is calling for those believers on that mountainside in Galilee to be nonviolent in the face of those who would be violent toward them. It's in the Bible. His Sermon on the Mount helps the believer to know how to live for God. In a fallen world, this passage today literally shakes the believer to know that there will be trials and tribulations in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. There's going to be people that come against you, a culture, a world that attacks you. But in this text today. As a family, RCC, there are two things I want to call you to look at with me. Let's look at the disciples' command and the disciples' compassion. Here they are again, the two points. Let's look at the disciples' command from Christ and the disciples' compassion for Christ. The Bible says in this one verse, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer up also the other cheek. Now, this is powerful because when you come to this portion of the text, you and I get to see Jesus in this passage giving what we call is a command to those disciples who have chosen now to follow him as his students. And in this verse, It's a command to resist. Somebody say resist. 
resist retaliation. It's a command to be nonviolent, even though violence has been projected upon you. It's a command to be under control, to be, to be uh, in complete charge of one's emotions, your feelings, your actions, your desires, in spite of the evil that's been projected upon you. Now, I know this ain't popular, but it's Bible. It's what I call a kingdom imperative. God is never about you getting to even with somebody who's done you wrong. I'm hunting for an amen right there. This teaching, it's kingdom teaching. It's a kingdom assignment. It's a kingdom value. It is, beloved, the kingdom way. Now, notice the complexity of this command. Jesus says, if they strike you, hit you on one cheek, offer them the other cheek. Here's what this action, is, this action says. This action says, hit me again and again. And again, it says, I can take it. You can't hurt me. It says, your violence is weak against my power. It says to the assailant, is that all you got? Here it is. It, it, it says, you don't have any power that would make me act like you are acting toward me. That's what Jesus is teaching here. It says to your enemy, you can't make me mistreat you even though you have mistreated me. It says you can't bring me down to your level. It says I refuse to allow violence to me to make me hurt you. This is Christianity. This is the way God calls you and I to behave in a hostile world. According to Dr. King and those who participated in that massive civil rights nonviolent movement some 50 odd years ago, this type of thinking reveals the power of God inside of the believer. That's why the church could march in the street in an act of worship and witness in spite of the persecution that was being projected upon them. You didn't see them fighting back. You saw them turning the other cheek. What were they doing? Living out the words of Christ. And as a result of that, the world got to see Christianity on display. And it was the power of the gospel that turned the hearts of persecutors. Why? Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. This is powerful. This is powerful because nonviolence for the believer is the way of life for the courageous Christian. You can't be a coward and be nonviolent. You've got to have courage. You've got to believe that the power of God living in me is greater than the power of the one who's afflicting me. I here's what it is. I call it aggressive. It's aggressive. It's spiritually, it's mentally and emotionally charged by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because only the Holy Spirit can keep me from hitting a man who just hit me. Come on, talk to me, somebody. I know my neighborhood from where I come from, Josh. And if you did this to me back in the day, 
I don't know if I'll turn the other cheek. But now that the power of God lives in me, I know I'm able to do it. Jesus was calling his disciples. Listen to me, men. Listen to me, men. Jesus is calling his disciples in this text to a new way of living. He's calling them to the kingdom way of living, the kingdom way of thinking, the kingdom way of modeling what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And not only was he calling them to this, he was leading them into what I call a knowledge of power that would defeat enemies in a way that they had never known before. We read this text in hindsight, but if you want to know what really happens, read the book of Acts. When they get this, they turn the world upside down with this power. Mm. This was their first introduction that day to nonviolent resistance. This is the kingdom way. Mahatma Gandhi, who was not a Christian, studied the life of Christ and decided to use this in his efforts for social change in India. He was so enamored with how the Christ taught his disciples. He said himself, I would have became a Christian, but I ran into some. In other words, he saw believers who did not live out what Christ was calling them to do, yet it didn't make him shy away from trying the principles that Christ gave the church. Christ on that day, on that mountainside, feeding those disciples whom he just called to follow him, is teaching them and wants them to know when you live like this, it's going to be civil, it's going to be controlled, it's going to be Christ-centered, it's going to be certified, and your enemies will not be able to understand you or to conquer you. This type of living is countercultural. Especially when we live in a day where everybody's running to the gun shop now. Everybody's purchasing guns. I'm looking for an amen right there. That's not what Christ was calling us to do. No, no, no. This, this type of teaching went against everything that they thought of and believed of. See, they lived, these Jewish men and women that were following him, lived in a Greco-Roman period. And the Romans were cruel to the Jews. So they were always developing militias, developing ideas to try to overthrow Rome and how Rome was mistreating them. And here comes the Messiah with a brand new way of thinking and living and it's countercultural to what they have been taught and to what they were thinking. Jesus' teaching didn't teach them to get it even. It taught them to endure it. It taught them to offer strength from a place that the enemy could not break, could not bend, could not buy, could not bargain with. This was spiritual power that Christ was asking the disciples to exude, to put on display, to live from, to share in public. Listen, listen again to the words so you know that they're not Wilson words. These are Christ's words. If, Wilson, they strike you on one cheek, offer the other one. The key word in that verse is offer. Why? Because it means to give it up freely. 
This takes power. This takes courage. This takes one being willing to risk pain on purpose. This, again, is not for the weak of heart or for the one who does not possess the spirit of God. This takes the ability to endure what a normal person would never endure. Here it is. This takes supernatural stamina from on high to do this. Oh, beloved. Oh, beloved. Oh, beloved. This is not weakness. This is meekness. Meekness is power under control. That's what God is calling for the child of God to exhibit in the earth. Story is told about a famous boxer, true story, Irish boxer who was notorious for fighting in the streets as a young man. When he turned pro, he also had an encounter with the gospel and became saved. And once God got a hold of his heart, he started to evangelize in some of those neighborhoods that he grew up in. And one night he was setting up a big tent revival in the neighborhood where he lived. And some young gang members saw him out there and began to come and harass him because he was no longer about that life. And when the boxer refused to give them any attention, it's said in the story that one of the young gang members pushed him. He didn't push back. Shoved him again, he didn't shove him back. And then finally, he took a shot at him and got him real good right in the jaw. The boxer stopped, simply put his head down, and turned his head to say, hit me here again. The young gang members laughing and mocking took another shot and got him real good, this time on the jaw. And the Bible said the boxer took off his coat. Not the Bible, but the story said he took off his coat and said, son, the Lord gave me no further instructions. Boom! Knocked the guy out. Did you catch it? A lot of us are just like that boxer. Yes, we are. We can take the first one. We can take the second one. But the third one ain't going to happen. Are you in here now? See, some Christians are just like that. I'll take it the first time. I'll take it the second time. But the third time, I'm going to give you what I think you should have. But guess what? God is calling us to be nonviolent. Why? Because when you resist the third time, the power of the gospel, that meekness that I'm talking about, has the ability to take control of your mind and your heart and give you the ability to endure. That takes courage, confidence, control, and obedience. Christ will give you what you need to deal with those who are opposing you in every area of life. We've looked at the command of the disciples. Can I show you now the compassion from the disciples? The Bible says, to the one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Beloved, when you come to this portion of the text, you get to see what I call is Jesus' command for the disciples to be compassionate. Um, It's a call for them to be generous, to be kind to your enemy. 
Now, I know, uh, Brother David, I'm going to lose a lot of amens right through here. Jesus is calling you to be nice to the one who's not nice to you. He suggests if they take your cloak from you, give them your tunic also. The cloak was the outer garment. It was a one kind of long piece garment that most Jewish men wore. And under the garment, they had another garment that was called a tunic. Jesus has said, if they want your long garment, give them the one under it also. Okay, I put this in my own words for the the, uh, college group and the youth group. I think you'll get it. If they take your hoodie, give up your long t-shirt too. Y'all got it? Okay. If they want your jacket, give them that and your sweater too. He says, if they rob you, give them something extra. Now, why is Jesus saying this? He's saying this to show that the kingdom is not made up of things or possessions. And that these things or possessions do not possess you. The enemy's attempt to display power over you is powerless when you're not possessed by your possessions. See, by doing this, no man is able to hold fear over you, control or power over you, because you belong, beloved, to another kingdom. The second action here in this passage is powerful because the action being done to the believer is evil, is selfish, is greedy, is desperate, is ungodly. So Jesus says to them, let them do it. Let them have your stuff. And after they rob you of it, offer them some more. This is how the believer responds in the upside down kingdom. This is how we live, RCC, in a fallen world. We are not people who are possessed by our possessions. I'm hunting for an amen right there. We are not imprisoned to items that the world holds value to or are willing to hurt people over. The believer has a power over the enemy that will seek to rob you, steal your your belongings, or even take your goods. Brother Will, here's what I'm learning in this text, my brother. The Christian superpower in this world is generosity. Hello, is this thing on? Your superpower in this world as a follower of Christ is generosity. Okay, let me prove it to you. I have some Bible for my theology. Our power is our ability to bless our enemy. Our power is in our ability to help those who can't help themselves. Our power is our ability to endure what non-believers cannot endure. Knowing that the kingdom way causes conviction, God is actually dealing with the enemy when you exercise these commands. There it is. That's why God says, do this, Angelus. Because I want to deal with the one who's being bad toward you. That's why we call it the kingdom way. The kingdom way, family, is God's way. The kingdom way 
is the radical way. The kingdom way is the Lord way. You want to do something for God? You want to do something great in the earth? Live the kingdom way. Story is told about Oswald Galter, who was a missionary in northern China in the 40s. And after his term of service was up, he was on his way home and he came through India on a layover. And there he found a group of refugees by the seaport who were abandoned and not accepted in any form or form of the country. Wanting to minister to them at that season, which was Christmas, Oswald approached them and began to befriend them and asked them how he could bless them with a Christmas gift. The refugees responded, we don't believe in Christmas and we're not Christians. The missionary said, I understand that, but what would you like for Christmas? They said, you must didn't hear us. We don't celebrate Christmas. He said, that's okay. Uh, what, What can I give you in the light of this celebration, Christmas? They said, well, we are... Uh, in love with German pastries. And so what the missionary did was sold his ticket back to the States and bought pastries for the entire refugee community. He blessed them that day in honor of what Christ came to do. Later on, when he came back to the States, he was telling this story to some seminarians, and one smart student raised his hand and said, Brother Missionary, why would you give Christmas gifts to people who don't celebrate Christmas? They, they don't even believe in the gospel. Missionary humbly put down his head and said, I did it because I believe in the gospel. I believe in Christmas. And that's why he decided to be a witness for them in the earth. Can I tell you something here, family? That's what Jesus does in the life of the believer. So that the unbelievers can get to know him, he calls the believer to live sacrificially. What's your sacrifice like? What's your living like in your community? What's your living like on your job? Do they know that you love the Christ? Do they know that you are a follower of the one who gave it all? Jesus, in this passage, is teaching these disciples to be generous when somebody robs you or steals from you. Why? Because robbers don't believe in Jesus. That's why they're robbing. But Christians who are generous do believe in him. And they give so their lives can be Transformed. Let me say it again just in case I missed you or you slept through that one passage. If they want your wallet, give them your watch too. If they want your phone, give them your jewelry too. Demonstrate the love of God in a hostile moment and watch God manifest himself. RCC, here's the challenge, and I'm on my way down. The challenge is live out the kingdom and the kingdom will live in you. Oh, God, help me say it again. Live out the kingdom, and the kingdom will live in you. Live out the kingdom, and the Lord will do the rest. Thy kingdom come, he taught us to pray. Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Well, I got to leave you now. 
But Jesus was teaching in this passage what he was actually going to demonstrate. You've heard me preach now for about eight, nine months. You always know where every sermon's going to end at the cross. See, his actions at Calvary were a display of his compassion. When you look at Jesus at Calvary, he was being kicked, he was being beat, he was being spat upon, he was being slapped, he was being punched, and he was crucified on an old rugged cross. He was turning the other cheek. He was teaching the disciples how to live out nonviolent resistance to those who hate you for no cause, rhyme, or reason. They took his clothes. They took his freedom. They took his joy. And he gave them his life. Did you see that? He was teaching us from the cross as his disciples how to turn the other cheek and how with love, it will conquer a multitude of sins. He was teaching the disciples how to lay down their lives for the brethren, and they would imitate him when he would leave them and go back to be in heaven. Jesus died. Didn't he die, RCC? Didn't he die, RCC? That we may live. He died so that we may be born again. He died that we might get to know the Father. He died so that we may be heirs of the kingdom. This was kingdom living. If you ever get confused about what your life has become, go back and look at Jesus. Am I living the way he lived? If you're not, you can change course and correct it. That's what he's calling the church to do. It's the kingdom way. It's the kingdom initiative. It's the kingdom action. He was buried. And early Sunday morning, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Why? Because of the kingdom way. God the Father raised him back to life, the Bible says, and now he sits at the right-hand throne of God, making intercession for you and I. That's the kingdom way. You know what my question is every day? God, how can I live for you today? How can I live out the kingdom for you? And it causes me grief. It gets me in trouble. It gets people questioning and getting mad. Okay, bring it. Why? Because if it happened to Jesus, it's supposed to happen to me. I've got to live the kingdom way. No other way of living will do for me. I'm just talking about Angelus and Sharon now. For, for the kingdom, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. There's nothing in this world I long for or desire but to see Jesus and to live the kingdom way. How about you? What are you living for today? Is it your retirement? Is it your home that somebody else going to live in when you die? Is it your car that somebody else going to drive when you die? What are you living for? I hope and I pray. It's the kingdom way. Elder Ken, I was in my office and I was closing this sermon and I was writing and I was thinking about this. And I thought about those Christians, those persecuted believers all over the world, those right here in the States also too in the 60s 
when they refused to fight back, how people talked about them and mocked them. And they didn't see the benefit of their sufferings at that time. But they modeled for us what it looked like to have a faith that transcends circumstances. They modeled what it looked like to have a faith in, in the face of trouble. Their faith was on display in the midst of evil assaults and rejection. And I thought about one song my mom used to sing. She was a part of that movement. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. Someday. They had many parts to that song. One other part was, we are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid today. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. Someday. Their faith taught them to know that God was with them and they were saying, we are not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone today. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we are not alone today. Last verse of that song, the truth will make us free. The truth will make us free. Come on, help me. The truth will make us free someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. Beloved, Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. He never once on that Sermon on the Mount said these are going to be easy things. He wasn't calling us to an easy life. He was calling us to the kingdom life. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we have read your word. We have looked intently inside of it, and it makes us uncomfortable to know that in the world of rights and in the world of thoughts and selfishness, you would call us to abandon the way the thinking of this culture goes and to embrace and live on a higher level that those who don't know you might become your children. What a ministry for your church. God, when we look at the shootings happening around our world, the persecution and the senseless violence, we are grieved, we are wearied. And if I'm just being honest, Lord, we don't see hope. But when I read your scripture, 
it caused me to have a new mind. It caused me to think differently. It caused me to have a life of courage. It caused me to want to live like you, walk like you, talk like you, serve like you, even if it is uncomfortable. Today I hear you saying to us, listen, if they smite you on one cheek, turn the other. If they want your coat, give them your shirt too. I hear you calling me to live the surrendered life. So I pray for my church. God, help us. Help us to be kingdom people on the kingdom agenda. Help us to be willing to do the hard things that make us look more like you. Not for our sake, but for the sake of those who don't know you. That they may become sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to ponder these things now as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.